This is Outside the Arc with Coach R.J. Barsh, discussing the game of basketball with players and coaches from around the world of hoops, presented by NBC Basketball Camps. I'm John Fazio with NBC Basketball Camps, and I'm excited to introduce our guest for today. Mike Wells has been in the broadcast media field for the last 20 years. He's covered uh, teams such as the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Indiana Pacers, the Minnesota Vikings, and since 2013, he has been a part of ESPN covering the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, he graduated from Central Washington University um, many a year ago, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But, Mike, thanks for joining us today. Oh, man, John, it's good to catch up with you, man. I mean, the last time I saw you, you didn't have any facial hair on you. You definitely <laughs> didn't have any gray down there, which shows you that you and I are definitely getting up there in age, man. It's been 20-plus years, but I'm definitely glad to be able to catch up with you again. Yeah, thank you. And, and if it's okay, I'm going to take take us down memory lane a little bit to – to, uh, to kind of give our audience a little backstory. I, I'll, for some reason, I never forget, it's 1997. We are in a small uh, dorm room in Bardo Hall, and on the TV, a VHS player is playing the 1996 NBA Finals, Seattle Sonics versus the Chicago Bulls, and you and I are practicing our play-by-play -play <laughs> and color analysis because you had the great idea that Hey, the men's basketball team has has their games all broadcasted on the radio, uh, but the women don't. So let's let's go follow them. Let's cover their games. And for two seasons, we did that, which was one of the highlights of of my college uh, time. And and we both had dreams of getting into broadcast media. Here you are, twenty years later, working for ESPN. So congratulations! It's uh, you've already had a pretty successful career. Oh man, that, that, those were great times. I mean, you you think about it, you think about it, John. Being in those small college towns, NAIA schools, Division two towns, and uh, you know, staying in uh, like Holiday Inns, and uh, you and I, you know, act, acting like we are, uh, you know, Dick Vitale and Marv Albert out there uh, on the broadcast, you know, holding the microphone sticks. But I mean, it, it, it's it's been great, and it's been a great run, uh, you know, on the media side. You know, uh, you we always had those dreams of what's going to come about. You always had that secondary passion about coaching and teaching and everything. And uh, it seems like you're doing very well with that over there, out there in Spokane. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, hey, it's pretty cool. You get the uh, inside look at professional athletics. Can you tell us kind of what you enjoy most about covering pro sports and then also maybe something that, that's challenging about that? You know what, when, you know, my, my, my goal was always to uh, play in the NBA. You know, I have not grown one inch since I was in seventh grade, 12 years old, so what, 29 years ago, I, I, I was, you know, six foot two, wearing a size 12 shoe, thinking, all right, I'm going to be six five, six six, be able to handle the basketball. And in those 29 years, the only thing that has grown on me is my waistline. So that was it, the, the whole NBA aspirations went down the tube. And people always say, what made you want to be a sports, uh, sports reporter? And I say, it's the second best thing behind actually playing the sport. Um, obviously, you don't make the millions of dollars that professional athletes um, make, but you're right there in the locker room. You're talking to players. You're talking to coaches. I mean, the, the stories you're able to gather, you know, I mean, I'm watching Larry Bird, a Hall of Famer, in khakis and a uh, sports coach shoot jumpers like he's in the NBA three-point contest and walking off the court after five straight switches saying this is too easy, way too easy. And those are things you never forget about. I mean, you know, covering teams that reach the conference finals, you know, but the thing about you know, the biggest thing with professional athletes, though, John, is that they've made it. They're at, they're at the top. 
they're playing, you know, in the professional ranks. And from a media standpoint, they don't always need us. There are some athletes who do not like, enjoy talking to the media. They're saying their job is to come in, practice, play hard, and listen to the coaches. They don't, they don't want to take the time to talk to the media. That part of it is challenging, especially when you're required to write a story or, you know, do a television hit. But for all in all, I would, say, I would probably say 95% of professional athletes and coaches are great guys. There's always a bad apple in everything that you do. But all in all, I mean, it's definitely, you know, a, a dream. This has been a dream come true of mine. Yeah, that's great. What's something that, I mean, I love sports. I mean, I'll, I'll watch whatever sports. I, I love playing sports. But what's something that, that the common sports fan like myself uh, would be maybe surprised to, to learn about happens at the pro ranks or what that dynamic like dynamic is like there? How many players are humble? I mean, I'll sit there and, you know, the older, the older I've gotten, you know, when I first started, you know, I was in my 20s when guys just first got in the league, you know, uh, we had a lot of things in common, whether it was, you know, whether I was still playing video games and wanting to hang out, things like that. But the older I got, once I got in my 30s, talking to people my age, um, you know, I, I'll use David West, you know, power forward, played for the Pacers, played with Chris Paul when the, that with the Hornets down in New Orleans when they were the Hornets still. Him and I, we would sit in the locker room and just talk about our families, our kids, and things like that, or what, what our favorite restaurants are on the road, just how humble and just low-key these athletes can be. It was, those, are, those are the type of people I enjoy talking to. Um, I'm sure, I'm not sure how many people remember Austin Crozier, played with the Pacers, um, Power Four. Him and I, once he retired, him and I became very good friends. Uh, he spends part of the year in California, but he spends the summers here in Indiana, and him and I go golfing every summer. And we just talk and just, it, I don't look at him as, you know, a former NBA player. I look at him as a husband, as a father, you know, who is in the same age as you and I. And we just talk about life. And so not everybody is not all about the flash and the bling and things what we, what we see on social media. People, a lot of athletes are down to earth. It's more the older ones once they've been in the, in the uh, NBA or in the NFL. Um, you know, another person that I, I like to say, people probably wouldn't guess. Andrew Luck, I know he's retired now. He is the smartest athlete that I've ever, ever talked to. I mean, he's got a Stanford, uh, you know, degree. And I had one player tell me that, you know, if, if you didn't think, if you didn't realize Andrew Luck was an incredible football player, you would think that he invented Microsoft. <laughs> That's how smart of a person he is. So I just enjoy, I enjoy talking to people, not about sports, the athletes that I cover. Obviously we have a job to do where we have to interview them. But I enjoy just, you know, getting the backstory about them, what they like to do away from a, away from the football field or the basketball court. Those are some of the best stories or best conversations I've had with athletes or even coaches. That's great. One thing I really admired about you, having known you quite a few years back and sharing some of the same dreams, is that you've been able to um, really go go after that and and find success. You come from a tiny Ellensburg, Washington education at Central Washington University. And, and here you are on the big stage with, with, uh, with ESPN. What do you think has helped you uh, find success in, in what could be a really cutthroat business? You know, it's funny. You know, it's funny, John. So I take pride coming from Central Washington University. Living here in the Midwest, got for the past 20 years when I first stopped in Minnesota, now here in Indianapolis, people always say, where's Central Washington University at? And, and I, have, I have a license plate holder that says Central Washington on it, Wildcats. And, of course, people, don't, people here don't know about it, so I have to explain it. And, you know, 
a background of mine is I enjoy the education system. You know, I've, I've done a lot of guest speaking. I've had an opportunity to teach a sports reporting and a writing class at Indiana University. And obviously, Indiana University has an incredible media school. And a lot of people, great people have come from there. And people ask my backstory. And they're like, well, how did you get the ESPN? I tell them, you know what? When I was in college, I did everything imaginable. You remember Newswatch face? <laughs> Newswatch. I mean, we, we've already discussed, you know, being in the radio booth. Um, all this stuff has really panned out for me, you know, being versatile and everything. And I'll tell them, I, I'm like, hey, when I got out, I looked at myself as a goldfish trying to swim in the Pacific Ocean because you have those heavyweight journalism schools like Northwestern, Missouri, Syracuse, Columbia, so many great universities that have turned out some of the best in the business. So we, you know, you, I, we were at a disadvantage trying to move up the ladder, but I believe that I was going to outwork everybody out there. Did it, did I get every job I applied for? No, but you know, hard work finally paid off for me. You know, once I got that call from ESPN in August of 2013. Yeah, that's so great. I love that idea of just number one, embracing the opportunity for the education, but then also working your tail off to, to set yourself apart and be really unique in what you do. That's awesome. Now, hey, you're a dad with kids, and I think you said your kids are involved in sports. How does being around professionals every day, how does that uh, impact your view of, of athletics as it relates to your own kids and maybe their future goals? You know what I found interesting is, you know, being in this business for 20 years, I know the odds of, you know, reaching the you know, professional ranks are, you know, probably even smaller than this. You know, getting a Division One scholarship is probably smaller than this also. So when I when I attend my my kids' sporting events, I'm just a dad. I sit in the stands. Um, I cheer both teams. I cheer on both teams, especially when I coach. You know, I've coached both of my kids' basketball teams, you know, um, when they were younger. And let a kid from the other team make a great move. He runs by me. I'm high-fiving him, man. I'm saying, good shot, good move there. And – one thing I found very interesting sitting in the stands is that, you know, um, you know, a lot of parents look at it as, all right, my kid is going to be the next LeBron James or, you know, whatever, you know, the next, uh, um, you know, Drew Brees or whatever, or Patrick Mahomes. And I'm just like, all right, you know, there's a chance. Everybody's got a chance, but you also got to be realistic about it and, you know, just enjoy the game, enjoy the game and be the spectator. I mean, you you know me, John. I like to talk. I like to talk and joke and have fun. But if you were to ever see me sitting in the stands outside of cheering, cheering on and just being focused and watching the entire sporting event, I'm pretty quiet because that's my time to get away and enjoy that. And so from a parenting standpoint, I, I know, I mean, my, my son loves basketball and soccer. But listen, unless he's going to go on a growth spurt and, you know, spend a lot of time in the gym and take his game to another level, hey, just get a college education. I'll be happy about that. I, I we I know realistically the odds are very slim for both of my kids to do something, but so that's you know that's probably the biggest difference. I'm just I'm Mr. Dad, or as I say, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a Uber Dad minus the minivan driving my kids to practices and things like that. I just have fun with it and I enjoy it, and that's definitely my lighter side of things. Well, I can't talk. I do have the minivan because I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a picture of that. I need a, you got to send me a picture of you rolling around in the minivan with with the rest of the Fazios. Definitely true. Um, hey, you've covered a lot of uh, high-level teams and, and probably stories over the year. Are there one or two stories that stick out in your mind as like, wow, that really – I'll never forget covering that. I've, I've, had, I've had several in, in my mind. You know, some haven't been very pleasant, 
And then I've had some that are like, man, this is a, you know, top level type deal. And I'll, I'll start on the, on the downside. I, I'll never forget. I had been two months graduated from Central. And I graduated in December 99. And my first job was the Associated Press in Seattle. And I was working news side. And I'll never forget, I was driving down I-5, heading down to uh, Tuckwilla to my apartment. And I get a call from my boss saying, hey, you, don't you live by the airport? I was like, yeah. They're like, there was an Alaska Airlines flight coming back from um, uh, either Cabo or Puerto Vallarta to Seattle. And it crashed in the Pacific Ocean. And they believe there's no survivors. And, you know, I'm two months out of college, 22 years old. And this is, you know, obviously pre-9-11 where you're able to get inside security. And I'm, I'm trying to talk to families about, you know, potentially losing loved ones. And I'm having to ask them about that. And I was sworn at, I was yelled at. And I get it because if I was that, you know, family member and a reporter stuck a microphone or a tape recorder in my face, I would have been the exact same way. I'm like, get away from me. So it was kind of an eye-opening experience. It also told me that, you know what, I, I got to grind it out on the news side for now, but please, I want to get back to sports. And so that's probably, you know, that was probably one of the ones I also dealt with I don't know how many people remember Corey Stringer, the former Minnesota Viking offensive lineman. He died from heat exhaustion um, in 2001. And so, I, I did, again, I dealt with death again on that situation. But crazy story about that is that that team featured Dante Culpepper, Chris Carter, Randy Moss, two of the three who are Hall of Famers. And they had reached the NFC Championship game the previous year. Corey Stringer on a 90-man roster was the only person that ever called me by my name. So I kind of developed a relationship with him because he actually respected me and it would actually call me Mike and just not, hey, reporter and things like that. So that kind of hit, hit kind of hard to me that, you know, a guy that, you know, I had a great relationship with, you know, died after he coming off of his first Pro Bowl appearance and had a young kid. So that hit home. But on the flip side, I joke, I've covered seven teams that have reached the conference finals, whether it's, you know, the ALCS with the Minnesota Twins, the Minnesota Wild Hockey Team, who uh, got to the uh, Western Conference Finals, and then, you know, um, you know NBA teams that have reached the Eastern Conference Finals or the Western Conference Finals, and I have yet to cover a team that's gotten to the Finals or the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. I am 0 for 7 in that category, and I'm like, listen, you never, in this business, you never root for a team, but, you know, one of these days I would love to cover it. You say, I covered a team that reached the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals just to say I did it. But number one on my list, John, you know, I picked up the hobby of golf, and I wish I wouldn't have waited until I got into the late 30s to start playing golf. But two years ago, there was a uh, PGA event in Columbus, Ohio, which is about three hours from Indianapolis. And they said, hey, uh, Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods are paired together in a pro-am. And would you, we, you know, we would love to get a story from Peyton Manning about Andrew Luck. Would you go? And I'm thinking I'm going to have to wait through the whole 18 holes before it's done. No. you. I got an opportunity. I was inside of the ropes. And I was walking down the middle of the fairway, standing, you know, five feet behind Tiger Woods as he's lining up for his shot on a par five, standing right there. Tiger Woods, I don't care if you're good in golf or bad in golf, it's Tiger Woods, you know, arguably the greatest golfer of our time. And I'm standing right there or I'm talking to Peyton Manning and I say, hey, Peyton, afterwards, are you going to be, you know, doing media session? He goes, no, no, Mike, walk with me right down the middle of the fairway. I've signed, you know, I've signed autographs on all seven, on the first 17 holes. And so, you know, I'm going to take a break and I'll talk to you now. And I'm walking down as people, as the fans are yelling, Peyton, Peyton, Peyton. And I'm talking to Peyton Manning in the middle of a fairway. That's just Tiger Woods. I mean, I don't get giddy over anything because, you know, once you're, you've been doing it long enough, it's just like whatever. But I'm like, Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning. 
I'm doing it in a pro-am. And I stuck around the whole weekend covering that event and just going to the driving range watching Dust, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, all these guys hit golf balls from the driving range. And I'm dreaming that, hey, God, I wish I could be within 100 yards of these guys out here. So, I mean, that is probably number two on my bucket list of things that I've had an opportunity to cover. So I've been very blessed and very fortunate to do things that I never, ever thought I would be able to do in this career. That's awesome. And hey, as we kind of wrap up here, Mike, you know, our, just kind of thinking outside of the sports world, um, our, our country has experienced a lot of turmoil um, uh, in the past few weeks. And I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts and feelings, maybe your advice to people as, as we've been kind of wrestling with the issues of racial equality and how that's impacted our country. Do you have some, uh, do you have some thoughts you can share on that? You know, I've, I've, had a lot, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and ask about, you know, what I think about everything, or have I ever dealt with racism? You know, I grew up as a military kid. Prior to moving to Indiana in 2005, I had never lived anywhere longer than six years of my life. So for the first almost 28 years of my life, every couple of years I moved around. I was, you know, I lived in Germany, I lived in California, Washington State, on and on and stuff. So everywhere I lived, there was diversity and you know, I've been very fortunate and haven't had to deal with racism, but I've had friends who have dealt with it. And it's very sad because I, I feel like as more and more continues to come out, I feel like more and more racism gets involved and people are using social media as a platform. And I've always been, you know, um, you know, colorblind because, you know, I, I look at you the same as I look at myself. I look at other races as I look at myself. It, it's the same. And it's unfortunate that there are people out there. We know it's not everybody, but there are people out there who don't, they don't, they view things with just one color. And, and, you know, living in Minneapolis where George, George Floyd, you know, um, you know, was killed at, I knew that area. I knew that area. I used to hang out in that area when I was in my early twenties, when I lived there. And it, it, it stinks to put it, you know, pretty, pretty bluntly that it stinks that it, it has gotten to that, that people, you know, feel like they have to use their power or their race to uh, try to take advantage of people. And you, you got to hope that, you know, as we get through, you know, this, you know, this COVID pandemic and this race issues that there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel on the other side. When is that going to happen? I don't think anybody knows, but hopefully it'll happen sooner than later. Good message, Mike. Uh, I, hey, this has been a real joy for me to catch up with you and hear some of your stories. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and really inspiring too, to just, again, to having known you back in the 90s and saying, hey, this is where I wanna go with my life. And then to see um, just, just your hard work and your experience and uh, persistence to, to, to go and, and tackle those, those things and, and be where you're at today. Um, that's, it's a really, really neat story. I, I don't wanna get too personal, but I do, wanna get, I do have to give a shout out to some people close to you and I'll never forget, summer of 1999, the phase of your household, let me stay there so I can go to a convention in Seattle and spend some time out there in Federal Way at, at the house. So your parents were very gracious because I was interning at the Associated Press in Spokane, where you live at now. And I drove across for a week-long convention and your parents were very nice to let me stay in their house. And I would drive up to Seattle. And that's where I met the first late, uh, the first time I'd ever, actually the only time I ever met the late Stuart Scott. And I remember telling him, hey, Stuart, I'm going to work at ESPN one of these days. And I'm sure, he, you know, he might have been thinking, hey, you know, I've heard that. I've heard people say that a bunch of times. And once I got the ESPN, I wanted to meet him. And so I can tell him that we had met, you know, 14 years prior. Unfortunately, we didn't get that opportunity. But you know what? 
I, I'm not sure, you know, where I'd be at had your parents not given me an opportunity to stay, you know, rent free for a week. And I think I might have slept in your bedroom when I was out there too, John, uh, and, and, you know, hang out with the entire family and go to dinner and stuff like that. So, you know, definitely much respect to the entire Fazio household for giving me that opportunity 21 years ago. Well, you make a great impact on people. My dad still brings up that story of how much he enjoyed having you in their home for a week. So uh, kudos to you. you. You've got the gift of, of really helping people feel like a million bucks. And uh, it's, it's obviously paid great dividends for you over the years. Mike, thanks for being with us today and uh, wish you all the best moving forward. Appreciate your time. All right, John, you take care and say hello to the family for me. Will do. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Outside the Arc. For more information about NBC Basketball Camps, visit NBCCamps.com and listen to other Outside the Arc podcast episodes available on iTunes.